Great. Well, as I said, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here this morning. And I've been meeting with a few people that have been um, moved to the city or feeling in God that, uh, to find a community where they, they belong. And as I've said before, there are many amazing churches in the city. Believe you me, I meet with the pastors. But, and, but I personally believe that every person needs to commit to a local church. That's where they're fed and, and built up. And whether it's Oceanside or not, is between you and God. And uh, if it is, we'd love to have you here, and we welcome you here, and thank you for coming. But um, God will show you the way. And uh, as we've met with some of the new people coming in and having coffees, I've had quite a few ask us a little bit about the church and uh, some of our distinctives and why we do things the way we are. So I'm going to share a little bit about our vision and our values briefly this morning. But um, at the same time, like I say, this is not a comparison with other churches. I believe this, that this is part of God's vineyard. And just if you go, we in South Africa, there's amazing wine country. Some of those um, vineyards go back to the 1600s, uh, planted by the French Huguenots. And it's wonderful to see all these vineyards in, in a row, and many of them are producing different types of wine, not in competition, but working together. And that, to me, is the picture of the church. There are many expressions of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that are, are critical to be a Christian, but outside of that, uh, the body of Christ is multifaceted and multi-generational and multicultural, and that's how it should be. And so we want to celebrate what God's called us to be, which may be a little bit different to the church down the road, but not in competition with any other church. They're doing a good job, and people can worship God with the piano in silence as much as we can worship God the way we do. Different is good. Different should not divide. How many of you go to a coffee shop and uh, insist that your friend likes the coffee you like, and fight over it. One. Okay. There has to be one. But you celebrate it, and that's church, different flavors of the kingdom of God. And if we see it that way, um, we can walk in more unity. They're the absolutes of Scripture that are true, and we are a Bible-believing church as you uh, we'll see today. And those are the things that we fight for, and those are the things we stand on. We see in Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, 2, verse 23, uh, the word of the Lord comes to me and says this, Write down the vision, or the revelation, and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits for an appointed time, and speaks of the end, and will not prove false. So I want to lay out a little bit of that. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come to pass. So vision that God gave Deborah and I, this church will be 20 years old next year. We came from South Africa, planted the church here. We didn't know one Christian in the nation, and God called us here with a specific vision. And I, this vision will never be fulfilled, I don't believe, in our lifetime. It's an ongoing vision that God has for the church. And this is what our dream is. 
This is a dream as a community. This is what we brought over with us um, in our hearts. It, it's to be a multicultural community of friends where people are loved, forgiven, and accepted. For Oceanside to be a safe place where people can be restored, trained, and take what they have learned and spread it to the neighbors and the nations, thereby fulfilling the Great Commission. If we are not fulfilling the Great Commission, we are not being obedient to Jesus' call upon our lives. And many of you know, and this has been said before by Tyron, a friend of of mine, and maybe some of you don't, but what is Jesus' love language? Obedience. Obedience to him. It says, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, religion puts it this way to me, that I'm going to try to the best of my ability to obey Jesus in my own strength. Impossible. Jesus is saying, if you fall in love with me, if you truly love me, you will want to obey me. And when you don't, I've forgiven you anyway, but your heart is always to be obedient to Christ. And that's a relationship that God wants with us. Not a relationship called a religion, and Christianity is one of the main religions, but a, a, a relationship of a father to a child. And we're going to look at that a little bit at identity as we go on. So our values, and so that's our vision statement. We've, we've brought it down to four words. I was listening to Bill Hybels years ago, and I'd get up in church. We had just planted what's our vision statement, multicultural community of friends who are love, forgiven, and accepted. I'd ask the people every week because I wanted them to remember it. They couldn't remember it. Too long. So we condensed it, and Bill Hybels says this. If, if your vision statement can't fit on a T-shirt and people can read it quickly, it's too big. It's too long. doesn't mean it's a small vision. So our vision is to be a gathering. We want to gather in the lost. We want to gather in the, stone, uh, the, the, the broken, burnt stones. We want to gather in people, but we want them to get healed. Many people come with stuff. And this needs to be a place of healing where people aren't judged, that we help them through the issues, healing physically, spiritually, and emotionally. But we don't want to leave them there. We want them to be equipped, trained. And then we want to send you out into your mission field. And surprise, surprise, it may not be in India or Africa, your mission field starts right outside of this door. In fact, your mission field might even start in here today. And God wants us to be able to to understand what we believe, to know what we believe, uh, to know his heart for people. And for us, in our mission field, which could be at McDonald's, it could be a coach of a hockey team, it could be somewhere where God gives us a, a sphere of influence that we can impact people. And Jesus said this interesting thing, because often people say, I don't know what to say. Well, Jesus said this, go into all the world, now let your light so shine, sorry, before men, that they might see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. And St. Francis of Assisi, you'll hear the suffering from me because it impacted my life the first time I heard it over 20 years ago, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, 
use words. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ. And the way we represent Christ impacts the world on their view on Jesus. Because he is making, Paul says, his appeal through us. And so um, Christ uh, was a, a one that spoke the truth. He never denied the truth, but he always spoke it in love. And people flocked to him. So this is our foundational value. That the Bible in its entirety is inspired word of God. Church, this should be when I grew up. I, I got saved in the 80s and Bible studies were still a cool thing. It was something that you did. When we got saved, there was a Bible study. So we go to church and we go to Bible study and we go to home group. How are we going to learn and what the Bible says if we don't study it? And if we're not studying it and we don't understand it, we have teachers, we have Mark Manfredi, he's not here today, he's, he's finishing his doctorate, uh, I think it's at Regent or, or Trinity, one of those places in Vancouver, so that we can equip you for works of service. So we want people to know the Word because there is a huge attack on the Word of God. And I'm going to show you, uh, show you a few things here. I was reading that the in North American evangelicals, only 45% or something like that, that believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That's in the church. Not many more than that believe. Yeah, I think 60% believe in hell, but only 40% believe that their loved ones who were good to them that didn't know Jesus, will be in heaven one day. There's such confusion. And I know how sounds a terrible thing, and it is. Go and read Revelation and see what it's saying. But Jesus came to rescue us, Colossians says, from the dominion of darkness and bring him into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. We are on a rescue mission. We cannot, God is not into robots. So we are not responsible for people's actions or how they respond to the gospel. We are responsible to love them, not to judge them, but to speak the truth in love. Church, this is a difficult thing in this society these days. I get some hate mail sometimes for preaching like this. And some things on the... Uh, uh, written about some of the things we stand for. And I tell you what, I love people. I love you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you fulfill your destiny. I was a 24-year-old. I got, got saved from a terrible background, and God rescued me. And now, 34 years later, still powering for God. Actually thinking I'm falling more in love with Him now because I understand His grace more now that is imparted on my life. And Timothy and Paul saw this coming. So the Word of God, the inerrant, unchanging Word of God. Jesus Christ in John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Then he goes on to see, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Who was that? Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. We cannot add to it, and we cannot subtract to it. According to Revelation, there are consequences when we do that. And it says this. Paul says to Timothy in 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, Timothy, 
Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Please read the context of the scripture. This, this is the, the, his conclusion for this young man as a pastor in a church in Ephesus. Because you know from those from who you have learned it and how from infancy, infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, in Christ Jesus. All scripture. Can you say that? All, all scripture. I'll try and say it. All scripture. Is God breathed? Can you? There we are. Okay. Thank you. And it has a purpose. That is to teach us. To rebuke us, to correct us, and train us in righteousness. Why? So the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now there's a, a great uh, pastor teacher in New York by the name of Timothy Keller. An amazing, amazing pastor. He leads a church called the Redeemer Church. He's a theologian, and I love to listen to him sometimes when I have time. And this is what Timothy Keller wrote about the Bible and culture. We cannot make the Bible and culture equally authoritative. Many people are trying to change the Word of God to make it politically correct and suit the culture of the day. If we say that what the Bible says here is true, but what the Bible says over here is outdated, we have absolutized culture, giving it the final authority over the Bible. Either the Bible is the final authority and determines what in culture is acceptable or unacceptable, or culture has the final authority over the Bible and determine what text is acceptable or not. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, church, is who or what will determine for us what is right or wrong? Is it culture or is it the Word of God? It's something we need to wrestle with. I'm not here to convince you of this. I have to live this as a revelation of my mind, knowing that no matter what culture says, no matter what persecution comes, on Christ alone, on Christ alone, on Christ alone, on the Word of God, loving people, caring for people, and trusting God to bring them in the kingdom. In Matthew 5, verse 13 to 14, it says, tells us that we are called to be salt and light. Jesus speaking, you are the salt of the earth, but when the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? How does the salt lose its saltiness? It gets diluted. Diluted Christianity, diluted word of God, diluted lifestyle, compromise, that it just, it just get diluted. Washed. Away. 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light show sign before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Church, we need to represent God well. And I tell you one thing, if you come to this church, I hope you never feel condemned because everybody, color, creed, sexual orientation is, is welcome here. Everybody is welcome. And the grace I want to ex- extend to them or to you, I want you to extend to us that this is who we are and this is what we believe. And there are other churches out there that uh, may not believe it and, and so on. So I'm not here trying to convince anybody because I notice as a pastor, if I try and convince somebody of something, or even to stay at Oceanside. Remember when we were small, I started the church with just Deborah, myself, and our three kids. And then somebody come along and they think, oh, this is a bit weird. And they say, oh, maybe you're not going to come here. And I said, no, please, you know, come on, man, this is awesome. But I had to do it every week. When I stopped, they left. Until some people said, hey, this is different, but I like it. And so it's a conviction of our hearts. We are not going to last in these times if it's somebody else's revelation. If you haven't got a revelation who Jesus Christ is, Lord of all, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by him. If you haven't a revelation of the word of God, I can't spend years trying to convince you. That comes from God. That comes from God. When the Logos, the written word, many atheists have read the Bible, maybe more than Christians. Because I've sat down with them, and they'll tell you scripture. Interesting, the devil had read the Bible too, because he used it against Jesus, but Jesus knew the word. And I try and convince him back and forth. That is the written historical book, the Logos. But when information in that book becomes revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life is transformed forever and ever and ever. And you don't have to convince me. People ask me, how do I know I'm saved? I love hanging around with people that don't know Jesus. I don't judge him. I'm not trying to convince him. I just tell him I was lost, but now I'm found. My life is better for Jesus. All of that. But one of the things for me is that I cannot argue them into the kingdom. Stop arguing with people. You cannot save people. How do I know that? Because you couldn't even save yourself. But God can. And he says, love them. Don't judge them. Don't put 10 tons of truth on a one-ton bridge or on a one-ton bridge. Build relationship. Get that strength and wait till you're asked. Because the best way you know things are going well for you is somebody say, hey, man. Why are you like you are? This is your life sucks, man. Things are going wrong. But there's something about you. Hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you, eh? (laughs) 
So I wrote down these questions. How can we be the light if we don't know what the light is? How can we be the salt of the earth if we have no idea what saltiness is? And how we can show people the way if we don't know what the way is for ourselves? And do you know the amazing thing about God is because we all go off track, off track, and me too. God is gracious. God's a merciful God. He's not beating us up. He just says, come home. Come home. Come home. Prodigal son, two pictures of a son that repented and a religious brother. Actually, the prodigal was the, the older brother because he never went back. He was religious. I've done all of this stuff. I've done all of this. This guy's been potting like a rock star, spent all your money, all of this. I've been faithful. And he says, yeah, but he was lost and now he's found. He's come home. I put a robe of righteousness back on him. Put a ring of sonship on his finger. He's come home. We're going to party tonight. Religious guy. No way. The thing is, the religious guy was doing it in his own strength. No relationship with his father. Because if he had a relationship with his father, he would have understood the father's heart. And he would have celebrated with his father. This is about relationship, church. And if, if, if our relationship is subject to an hour on a Sunday, and thank God, please, if it is at this stage, please come. <laughs> but hopefully it would go to an hour, ten minutes, and so on. And God just woos us in. You know the voice of the enemy is this. When, when you do something wrong or you feel bad, the enemy always says, Run away from God. The voice of God is when you feel bad and you do things wrong, where God convicts you, his voice is come home. Come home, come home, come home. I love you. I love you. Those are the voices. Because we do fall and we do do stuff that's not helpful. And we say, God, I can't do this. I can't witness. I can't do that. That's not God's voice. He says, just repent. And repent, the word repent is metanoia, is just come home, turn around, come back to me. And when we do that and we fall in love with Jesus again, this church, the world will know who we are and, and be attracted to what we do. Okay, that's just the first one. So I'm going to skip to the next one. There's a lot more on that. could preach months on that, couldn't you, on the Word of God. So the next one is prayer. God does nothing without prayer. Church, God does nothing without prayer. We need to understand that. And prayer isn't simply giving God a list of things that we need, where we seek His hand, I need a job, I need all of this, Prayer is also two-way. When we seek his face, when we seek his face, God, I'm lonely. God, I'm depressed. God, life is not going well. Honesty is what God wants. Not God, you know, I'm blessed, prosperous, and be, to be angry. I'm the head and not the, the tail. Amen. And my life is falling apart. Go and read J David. God said of David, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He messed up big time. He was angry with God. He was, he, sometimes in the Psalms you think he's suicidal. Lonely, lost, dejected. He sins badly. He must have been the worst thing in his life when Nathan the prophet comes and says, you know, that was wrong. But he runs to God. He says, God, created me a pure heart. Psalm 51. Go and read the Psalm of Repentance. Go and read that. Study Psalm 51. Because we need that daily. Renew in me a steadfast spirit, Lord God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation. That's where his prayers. And God comes, and he comes, and he comes. He says, that's my boy. He's got my heart. He's not perfect, but he's got my heart. And through that young man, I am, my lineage will continue. And Jesus, born on, on the earthly side of the line of David. Isn't that actually absolutely amazing? And yet you read what David did, and it often wasn't helpful. You see, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better methods or better apps or better web pages, and those are all tools. We need those because we want to reach people, but when we rely on the mechanics of church, To grow the church, it's unsustainable because you always have to up the ante. Our people are bored, so let's add smoke machines. Then they'll think they're in heaven. (laughs) And then lightning and lasers. Let's get like the world. Well, what next? They're bored of that now. No. Come to a heart of worship. Matt Redmond. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, Lord God. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. We fall in love with Jesus, things will happen and people will come. And you see, those things are administration and the tools God gives us are important. But that's not what we rely on. Not on new organizations or more novel ways. But what the church needs is men and women who are led by the Spirit, men and women who are mighty in prayer. Ian Bounds. We have a prayer meeting on a, on a Sunday morning here, and I want to invite you to it. It's at quarter to nine till quarter past nine. It's a weekly prayer meeting, not only for the service. And uh, if you don't didn't know about it, I apologize, but everybody is welcome. We don't have a midweek prayer meeting, but I pray that every home group we have spends time in prayer. So there's corporate prayer and individual prayer. But without prayer, without prayer, we're not going to accomplish much. In fact, when the shaking comes, that's what falls first. Paul in Philippians 3.47, this is an anchor scripture in my life. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. How many of you are anxious today? I'll put up two hands. <laughs> I'm always anxious when I preach. <laughs> 
Monday's not a good day for a preacher. So, oh, God. Oh, I hope I represented you well in those kind of things. But do not be anxious about anything. Say anything. Anything. Anything, anything, anything. We are in a world where anxiety is growing. And the answer is not more pills or legalizing marijuana so everybody's stoned and they don't care anyway. But in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God, I need help. God, I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with this stuff. God puts people around you. And I tell you, I find, I, in my office, I had a man and many others came to my office after being in this church for a while from a total unchurched lifestyle. Came and sat in my office many years ago now. And he said, I just want to tell you something. Sure. I'm addicted to everything. To pornography, to drugs, to alcohol. To money, I am so. I, I, when I get a hold of something, it's full out, twenty four seven. Can you help me? Do you know what I said to him? I said, I just want to thank you for your courage. That you would dare to come and even tell me this. He said, I'm so desperate, I don't know what to do. He's told this testimony since then. His testimony. But I won't tell you his name. It was a two-year process. Coffees. We used to meet at the country club Starbucks, a really holy place. <laughs> and that was because he worked near there. And we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked. Not only was he radically saved in serving God 10 years later in another part of the country with all his heart, marriage... Uh, marriage restored, son, who I met in Australia, saved in this church, free from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and put on a new path, not by me, but by the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. If somebody comes to you and opens their heart as a Christian, and you the only thing, my provisor and a disclaimer, if it has to do with children, it's going to the police. And that's the law of the land. But that doesn't mean you still shouldn't be set free from it. But to see this man's life, and so often in the church somebody comes, my, my marriage is failing, or I've been divorced, or all of these kind of things. And they become... You know how Christian gossip often starts? We talked about prayer. God says, I'm really struggling in this area of my life with pornography. My, life doesn't, my wife doesn't know anything like that. Hey, guys, let's pray for Joe on Wednesday. He's struggling with pornography. What? Do you think he'll ever trust again? And that's happened to many of us here. We need to people who are set free. We all have these thoughts. We all sin daily and fall short of the glory of God, but in Christ there's freedom and liberty and so on. Amen? Thank you. 
You see, this is the thing for me as a pastor. What do I do in crisis? Be it a relational crisis, be it a crisis in the church, what is my first response? And I tell you, often it's to try and sort it out myself. And God's just waiting. So, okay, let's see. More than say, Jesus, let's watch this one. How long is it going to take? Crash and burn, because it never works out when you do it yourself. God, I can't do this. I can't do it. He says, geez, I wish you had told me that six months ago. I could have helped you a bit. Our first response is always to run to the Father. Sin or anything that we, we run to the Father because the enemy wants to separate you from God. God wants to set you free. And we need to talk about these things. We need to, we need to have a healing community. So if somebody comes to you and would, would actually trust you to bear their hearts, God is listening and God is watching. And if that's happened, then stop it. Ask for forgiveness and we get on. But we want this place to be a place of healing, physical, spiritual, and mental. People restored by the power of God. And this is the last one I'll get to of all of them, and maybe I'll carry on. We are away for a few weeks after this, so we've got some um, kind of preachers preaching over the time. So we're here yeah, next week, actually, Matt's here. So the last, the first one, the last one, and this is more, as important to me as the others, the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. Now this is something that Jesus came to break, the separation between God and man and the separation between the priests and the people. In the Old Testament, you had to go to God through the priest. Jesus brought a new covenant and he says, you have direct access to God. And Jesus broke that separation and unfortunately the church in tradition has built that back up in many, in many areas. And hopefully, and we pray that we, we deal with it here, that that happens. Because we are all equal in standing before God. I'm not more equal than you. I'm not more special to God than you. I've got to brush my teeth in the morning because of bad breath, like you do. I'm not this holy person floating around the stage here. Come spend a week in my house and you'll say, Oh God, pray for Mike. Pray for Deborah. <laughs> She's a saint. I'm in the dog box in heaven, but I'll be, able to, I'll be in, in her palace's garden. What does that mean, equal in standing and different in function? When you're saved, the day you're born again, the Word of God says you become a brand new creation. Not a fixed-up creation, a brand-new creation. Your spirit becomes alive and you're born of the spirit. You have the same power, the same authority, the same anointing as Jesus had as he walked as a man on this earth or as anybody. You can lay your hands on the sick from day one after being saved. In fact, the best evangelists are more than, uh, more than likely often the ones, the guys that got saved the day before. 
Because they just want to tell everybody about Jesus. And we said, no, 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 no. Now you've got to learn all the stuff first. By the time we finish teaching us, oh, what the heck. How many of you, when you got saved, you want to save the lamppost if you're standing next to it? <laughs> Can I tell you about Jesus? I remember, <laughs> yeah, some stories anyway. Equal in standing, but different function. And we see in Romans 8, and there's other scriptures, God speaks about identity. And I'm going to bring that up to you now and read it, 16 to 17. This is God speaking about you. Now the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. With Christ. Indeed, if we share with his, in his sufferings, in order that we share in his glory. That's a whole doctrine. The doctrine of suffering for Jesus. We don't hear that anymore. But anyway, let me get, not get off here. There's no higher calling or standing in the universe outside of the Godhead than being an heir of Christ and a co with Jesus. In fact, we are hidden Christ. There's no higher place in the universe. Angels marvel at our salvation. The power and authority, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he speaks about the incomparably great power that is for us who believe. He says that power is like the moving of his mighty hand that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me and through me to you to lay your hands on the sick to preach the gospel, to live for me. No higher standing. And why is that important? Because there's an identity crisis in the body of Christ. Well, I get saved and I'm just a lowly saint. I'm just a co-heir with Christ. and I can do nothing. But if I do things well, maybe I'll become a deacon. Now I'm getting somewhere. I get a title. And if I really deek well, <laughs> then I'll become an elder. Wow! You're 20-year-old's Elder Paul. I'm an elder. You're a younger. <laughs> and if I do that really well, maybe my ministry will go global. And now I'm the guy and all of you people, you're just the plebs. You're just co-heirs with Christ. Can you see how bad that is? Identity is found in Christ, in who we are, and never in what we do. So you can be, in your eyes, the most menial job. And in somebody's eyes, a really good job. And there's no such thing as a menial job. There's no such thing as it. But you think, I'm nothing. If you're born again, you have the power and authority in that job to make a difference. Let your light shine and be salt. 
You see, when we're salty, it makes people thirsty. And what do people do when they're thirsty? They come and drink. And there's this thing in the body of Christ. Okay, one day I'll get the microphone, then I'm really, really important. But I want to show you, so identity, there's no higher standing in the universe. That's why we are without excuse. So there comes a responsibility with that identity. But Romans 12, a few chapters later, and this is one of the areas, Paul now speaks about function. And we're going to put this up and we're going to finish with this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and I would like to say leaders in particular, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body and many members, and these members do not have the same function. So we've gone from identity to function. So we all don't have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Go and read 1 Corinthians 12 about the body. And each member belongs to all the others. Equally is important. 1 Corinthians 12 uses the anatomy of the body. And I tell you, how do you know, how many of you think of your big toe all day? You're awesome, man. <laughs> no, we think of our beautiful faces. With the lights off, I do. I shaved with the lights off. Joke. There are some parts of our body that are more noticeable. But I tell you, if I stub that big toe, I never stop thinking of it. When it's hurting, when it's not functioning properly, that thing consumes me. And that's the same with the body of Christ. We need each other to fulfill the functions God has called us to go. Because when you're functioning well, the body functions well. When you're not functioning, the body doesn't function well. We'll get along. How many of you know you can walk around for months with that big swollen toe and still get around. You know what I mean? Like that. We can walk with a limp. When we are not functioning because we don't understand who we are in Christ or we, because we've come under condemnation because of the enemy accusing us day and night, but Jesus is praying and saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Then the body limps. And this is, this is now he lays out some of the things some of the functions of the body. And he speaks in, and in no particular order. And I'll show you this. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Don't add to what God's told you to say. In fact, body prophecy outside the office of a prophet is to encourage and build up the body. 1 Corinthians 14. Eager desire, spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy... He talks about speaking in tongues, but he says this, for prophecy is for the edification and the building up 
of the body of Christ. If it's a direct word and God does bring them, bring them to the elders, we can pray through it and we can release it. That's the way God works. If it is serving, let him serve. Servants, the greatest in the kingdom. If we have a prophetic conference and it's a big prophetic dude, let's get the biggest building we can. We said, hey, guys, we're going to have a conference on serving. How many would come? Without the servants. Without, you know, these chairs. I mean, I came in here, it was empty, and I was interceded, and the chairs just, boom! It was amazing. <laughs> the coffee was just there, and the worship team was, it was just incredible. No, no, no. People serve. People serve, and I tell you, when you not only serve in the body, but when you serve others, it opens their heart. Why are you doing this? I don't deserve this. No, you don't, but neither do I. But can I serve you? Can we serve the poor? Can we serve the people downtown? Can we serve the prostitutes? Can we do that, church? Because it gives, brings glory to Jesus Christ. And I tell you, when you serve people that are in a, a, a worse situation than you, your situation doesn't feel so bad. We're always looking up. Oh, if only I had this. My tin boat's not good enough. I want Jerry's boat. <laughs> Don't sell it, Jerry. I love that boat. <laughs> we always don't have enough. But when you go down into the streets, and when you see the people there, and you can say, God, by your grace, one decision away from a disaster, every single one of us, by the grace of God. It changes our hearts. It changes their hearts. When we serve, oh, I'm just a lowly servant. No, you're not. You, you're an heir of Christ called to serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. We need the teaching gift to grow. We need people to be trained. That's why we have Mark Manfredi doing his doctorate. So he can help us. If it is encouraging, let him encourage Oh, I've got no gift. Let me tell you, there are people in this place today that really didn't need to hear my sermon. They needed encouragement. And through the Spirit of God, you can see you go, Hey, man, I'm Mike. How are you doing? Can we have a coffee or something? God's must have saying, God, this is my last chance. My last time I'm ever coming here. Five years later, he's saved, serving God, I came, into the, so I came to God because of Mike's great preach. Most people can't remember on Wednesday what I preached on the Sunday. <laughs> I can't sometimes. What will he remember or she? I was loved. I was lonely. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was hungry. You fed me. You gave me a glass of water. I, you encouraged me. And I'm part of the body of Christ because of that. The gift of encouragement. Encourages, encourage. And if you're not encouraged, get around an encourager and let them lay hands on you. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. This church is a walk of faith. And if it wasn't for generous people in this church, and I want to thank you, we not be, would not be able to 
do what we do. But it's not only about corporate, the needs of others. The needs of others. Generously. You know you can never outgive God. If it is leadership now, you see, now let him govern diligently. I want to stick on this one. Because if I wrote that chapter, I would have put leadership at the top. If it is leadership, let him. Leadership is second last. Not because it's not important, but it's not more important. So leaders need to lead. I, my team, we need to lead and govern diligently. The God, we will be held to account for that, but no more than you will be held to account for your gifting and your anointing than me. Just different gift. Can you see that? So Paul said we all need each other. And then, if it is showing mercy, let him do it generously. Church, this is the body of Christ, the priesthood of all believers, everybody functioning as God called them, and not coming on a Sunday to church and get somebody like me scream at you for two hours and go home and say, I've done it. But you come and say, God, I want to be inspired, I want to be taught, and I will take what I have outside that door. Now, I challenge anyone, if you don't know what your gift is, I challenge anyone to say it's, God doesn't call us to serve. And this week I challenge you, don't worry about the prophetic and all of those kind of things, that when I get that, then I'm the dude or leadership. I challenge you this week to encourage somebody in your workplace. To be generous to somebody. Play it forward or play it backward or whatever you want to do. To show mercy, instead of being like the Samaritan and the Levite, rushing past. If God grabs your heart, that person, sit on the pavement with them. Don't give them money, but buy them a meal, coffee. Give them a jacket. If you've got spare jackets, stick them in your car. And just tell them, Jesus loves them. You see, the Word of God is seed, and it's imperishable. We can't make the seed grow, but we can plant seed. And if we will just do those little things, let's forget about all the high and lofty stuff. Encourage, serve, be generous, show mercy. This week, if we did it, and we said, God, we're going to do that, once a week, three hundred, a few hundred of us or whatever, every week the city will be turned because people will see light shining and they will glorify God because of our good deeds because they'll want to know why we're doing it. Amen? Thank you, church. Thank you. If I could have the worship team left, uh, left, up, We've done in an hour and a half, got 10 babies <laughs> saved, <no. laughs> dedicated. You've listened patiently. But I want us to sing one of those Christocentric songs. Camilla can choose one. Just for a moment, if you can bow your heads.
just for a moment, because Word of God says this, that seed, unless it takes root in the heart in good soil, can be stolen. So often we hear a message, it says the cares of this world, the weeds in our life. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit just water that seed. And if you're seeking God, I only tell you that God says this, if you seek me, you will find me. I'm not wanting to convince you, but I'm asking you to say, God, I would like to know you. In your heart right now, just say, God, I'm seeking, Lord. I would like to know you, Lord. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. God, I'm tired. God, I'm messing up. God, I need you to rain down upon me right now. God, I can't do this. My business is overwhelming me. Or my finances, my family, my children. Present your request to God right now. I'm asking you to please, whether, whether you know him or not, he hears your prayers. Present them to him. And I'm going to pray that the transcendent peace of God will come upon you. The peace that surpasses our natural understanding. Because it's our hearts that He guards. Our minds can say chaos. How many of you have been in that situation? It's chaos. But my heart is still. I feel peace. Circumstance doesn't necessarily have to change, but if you've got peace in your heart, knowing that God is with you, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He leads you beside green pastures and still waters. But He also leads you through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. Times of trial and hardship. And it doesn't matter whether we started the fires or, or, or somebody else did. He's able to put them out. But He walks us through those fires. When you walk through the fires, you'll not get burnt. Give these things to God. Give your situation to God. And say, come Holy Spirit. Bring healing. Bring restoration. Supernaturally, you know what God says, as we wait upon Him, He renews our strength. And Lord, in this moment, I pray renew strength in this place. Pour out Your grace and Your mercy. Holy Spirit, rain down, rain down, fresh water. says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, His rod and His star will comfort you. You'll find comfort in that place right now. And then He promises to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And then He says this, Surely goodness and mercy 
will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.